So my main prayer this morning is that my body doesn't betray me um, in the sense that uh, Trista and I, Trista, if you, um, my name's Josh, I'm the associate pastor here. Trista uh, does a lot of things with women's ministry, young adults, um, and just general. Yeah, she's great. And she's been real sick, so I'm glad she's like feeling good enough to be here. But we used to be in a band, and that was our full-time thing, writing, singing, touring, and that kind of thing. And I had this thing that would happen is like, if I felt like this love towards God, I would write a song, and it would be like this, come out like a soft folk song. And then I'd be like super angry. And I'd just be like, feel all this angst, and I'm like, <sighs> and then I would write a super soft folk song. And I'd be like, why does this keep happening? And then I'd be, it just no matter what I was feeling, it came out in a super soft folk song. And the same thing happens with like, I'm reading the scriptures and I'm like, gosh, I'm just gonna like everywhere on stage and I can't, I'm like, I, this like fire's burning and then I get up and I'm like, did you guys know? Like it just always comes across like, uh, so I'm hoping that you feel the weight of what I'm saying regardless of whether I exhibit it uh, with my body. Um, gonna work on, work on that. Um, but we're gonna share something that I read a few Christmases ago, probably like three or four years ago, and it struck me, and it strikes me every Christmas, um, and it's also coming from a prophetic side too, uh, looking at some prophecies and how Jesus fulfilled them. I, prophecy is a very unique and unusual thing because one, Jesus, God didn't have to do this. He didn't have to use prophecy. He didn't have to create a system where he goes, I'm just giving you a glimpse of what's coming in the future and you can look out for it. And maybe you don't even recognize it till after it's fulfilled. He didn't have to do that. So it's a pretty unique thing to, to, to get to live as part of a world where that exists. And sometimes prophecy comes, like the Holy Spirit just shows up. There's times, I don't know, you guys are a prophetic church, so I think you know this, but there's times where all of a sudden you just have this still small voice inside of you and it's the Holy Spirit saying something. When I read the Bible growing up, I just assumed it was always the audible voice of God talking to a prophet and then he wrote it down real fast. But sometimes it comes like that. Sometimes you have a dream and you wake up, and this is biblical too, you wake up and you're like, I know that was from the Lord. I know that was from the Lord. And other times you see a picture, you're just almost like an open vision. And other times you hear something. Who's, who's heard the audible voice of God? Dang, wow. And sometimes you hear something. And sometimes I don't even, I've had this happen to me maybe three or four times where I didn't even know that what I was experiencing was something prophetic from the Lord until later. Um, and I don't know how to categorize it because I think when people have, some people might get weirded out by the word trance, but, and I'm not saying I had trances, but Peter had a trance in the book of Acts. He goes into a trance. What we're gonna read this morning from, from Numbers sounds like a trance where you're just all of a sudden you're seeing something but I think when you come out of it, you know what it is, and it was from the Lord. But I've had a few experiences where I don't know how to categorize it, where when Tristan and I first, in 2009, visited Lancaster, Pennsylvania to consider, is this a place we wanna live? Between, back then it was between that and Philadelphia, and they're like an hour and a half apart. And we went to a music conference, and there we met a guy named Brent Ulrich, who said, you guys should move here, we could work on building relationships. Which is a really awkward thing to say to somebody. Um, it really is. And to this day, he denies saying it. He really does. And then I'm, I'm like, do you, because you heard it. But he's like, I would never talk like that. 
But it was enough that we were like, yeah, let's move to Lancaster and build relationships. And then Brent became a good friend, and Brent's actually the one who introduced me to Paul Martini. And then I had another time, we were at a church uh, conference, we were part of a network called Dove, it's like a church network around maybe like 30 countries, 1,200 churches that we love. And one of their main leaders, Ron Meyer, uh, was standing talking to me in the foyer of a church conference, and he said, hey, you should really have me out to your church sometime. And I said, oh, okay. And then we had him out to our church. It was amazing. He ministered. He took people out to lunch. And I was like, and I was telling the story of how he got there. I was like, yeah, Ron said that. And he was like, no, I didn't. And it made, had this weird feeling inside where I was like, are things happening like that I think are very real and they're not real at all? And then it got weirder for me. And it almost like, I think prophetic things seem fun, but these started to feel, they started to stop they stopped feeling fun. Um, I, I was looking at Facebook. I was going to speak at a church in Pennsylvania, James and Kelly Martin, great church, great people. And I was going to speak there and I was looking at their, their Facebook and it was like a picture of this, this picnic they'd had the weekend before. And it was, um, they had a picnic and they had just like, I think like 21 people got baptized or something like that. I can't remember how many people it was, but there was baptism and there was pictures of it. And so then the next weekend, I'm there and I'm preaching. And after the service, it's like just me, him, and his daughter hanging out late into the night just talking. And uh, he's like, oh, we had this cool service last week. Uh, and I was like, yeah, yeah, the baptisms and stuff. And he's like, how'd you know about that? And I was like, well, I just read it on Facebook. And he's like, we didn't put it on Facebook. And I was like, yeah, you most certainly did. Uh, <laughs> there was pictures and he's like, nope. And so he's like, here, look. And he like brings up their church Facebook and there's nothing there. And I'm like, yeah, well then probably you or your wife because I'm friends with you guys. And he's like, nope. And they go through and there's like nothing. And I was like, all right, this is less fun. When you're like, Lord, if something prophetic's gonna happen, could you at least tell me that it's happening? So I'm not like, oh yeah, I saw that in the, you know. And then how long ago? I wanna say like 2014, 2015 in Lancaster, we, Trist and I went to something called the, uh, well, there's the National Day of Prayer, and they had all these tents, and it was at a Bible college, they had tents, and um, there's a one guy who's a photographer, I'm not gonna say his name, but he's a, probably like, I would say maybe the most popular photographer, one of the, one of the most popular photographers in Lancaster, Harrisburg, that, that area, and he sang this song, and I didn't even know he was a musician, and he was singing a song, and it was like something about, he descended from the throne room of David, he's a bright and morning star, and I was like, oh man, that's kind of cool. I didn't even know he was a musician. And then I kept, I Googled it, I Googled it, I Googled it. Probably like every year I'd be like, what's this song? What's this song? Um, we can never figure it out. And then this past year, I went to Pennsylvania with Paul when he was speaking at Life Center in Harrisburg. And I was in the green room with this guy. And I've never been in a green room with this guy before. Uh, and it was our first time to meet. And I was like, dude, I've been meaning to ask you. It's like nine years ago now, but there's a song you sang. You were leading worship and there was a song you sang. And him and his wife both, this, both made this face that was like, like little sneaky suspicious. And he's like, I don't even play guitar. And I was like, no, <laughs> like, don't. And he's like, I don't play guitar, but somebody just gave me a guitar. Somebody just gave me a guitar. And I was like, okay, but they're prophetic enough, that, like in that circle that they're like, if she pulled out her phone immediately, she's like, tell us how the song went. And so I'm like singing this song for them, just going, innocent from the, you know, just being like, and he's like, okay, maybe they're like, this is maybe a thing, like he's gonna play music. And I was just like, God, that was, and I, you were there, and I've asked you for nine years. It's not just like in my head, I'm like, what's that song that he sang that's like, 
God, that was nine years in the making. Um, because the prophetic is really weird sometimes, and I think sometimes you don't even know, but sometimes you do know. And sometimes he uses weird people and weird methods, and um, I hate the waiting. Like, there's times where I've given a prophetic word. I took a risk and gave a really powerful prophetic word to my dad, and it happened the next day. And he was like, oh my gosh. And it kind of like shifted his perspective on things. And then there's words that I've seen happen in weeks. And then there's words where I've given and I'm like, I don't know. if I won't even, even if it is accurate, I don't, I don't know if I'll ever get to see it. Or people give me a word and some people are like, you know, sometimes words take like 20 years to pass. And I'm like, don't speak that voodoo over me. I do not want, I want the, do not make me wait 20 years for a word. Um, anyway. But we're gonna look at a prophecy that comes from Numbers, um, Numbers 24. I'm gonna give you just a little bit of context real quick. Balaam, who most people know Balaam and Balaam's donkey, where Balaam's riding and he doesn't see an angel in the pathway, so the donkey, or he starts beating the donkey because the donkey's going off the path to avoid the angel. Do you guys know this story? Okay, he goes off the path and Balaam doesn't find it weird that the donkey's talking to him, he just talks back to the donkey. And then the angel shows himself to Balaam and is like, you're lucky I don't kill you for opposing me. Like, your donkey can see it, but you can't see it. And Balaam was known as a seer. Uh, Seer is also a prophet in the Old Testament, but largely seeing everything. Like, some people would hear a message from the Lord. They are mostly seeing uh, the message of the Lord. So, but the context of this is that Balak is the king and he wants to curse Israel. He hates Israel. And he, know that, he knows that Balaam is a prophet. And he knows that when Balaam speaks a blessing, it happens. And when Balaam speaks a curse, it happens. But the weird thing about this is that Balaam isn't, he's a prophet and the Lord uses him, but he doesn't, scripture, scripture tears him apart, especially in the New Testament. Because it seems like he probably did it for other gods too not just Yahweh. And it seems like, based on what we hear from Peter, that he sought to use this sort of connecting with divine deities for financial gain. And so it's interesting that it's, it's actually kind of uncomfortable that the Lord's using him. So Balak is calling Balaam, and Balaam goes, it's three different times um, that Balaam says, I can't say anything different than what the Lord is saying, because he's hearing, he prays and asks the Lord, what do you wanna do? And the Lord says, I'm blessing Israel. I'm blessing Israel. And the king gets furious every time. And that's, what's weird is there's a fourth time, it's not even up there yet, which I don't, they don't have this verse. But in the beginning of chapter 24, it says, when Balaam realized that God was set basically on blessing Israel, he stopped consulting or consorting to um, divination, omens, seeking omens. So he's doing these like almost witchcraft kind of things, these ritualistic practices to somehow discern and he's doing it. That's the thing, like when people practice this stuff, it's not like it, do, it doesn't work ever. He's, he's doing these weird things, but instead of having a relationship with God, he's doing things like set up these altars or maybe he's just looking at the clouds and trying to read them or they would have like sheep entrails and he would, you'd set them there and be like, oh, I can tell by these, this is what the Lord's saying. Real dark and the Lord doesn't like it forbids it so much in scripture. But that's what he was doing. But the fourth time, he doesn't do that. And instead, when he starts, 
he looks up to the sky and he actually sees what's, what the Lord's saying this time. And it says the spirit of God came upon him and he starts sharing. And then Balaam, or Balak goes into a rage and is like, get out of here, get out of here. And this is where we're reading. Um, right after he's been commanded to leave, Balaam says, okay, now I'm returning to my own people, but first let me tell you what the Israelites will do to your people in the future. This is the message Balaam delivered. This is the message of Balaam, son of Beor, the message of the man whose eyes see clearly. The message of one who hears the words of God, who has knowledge from the Most High, who sees a vision from the Almighty, who bows down with eyes wide open. I see him. Again, this is about the future of Israel. I see him, but not here and now. I perceive him, but far in the distant future. A star will rise from Jacob. A scepter will emerge from Israel. A star will rise from Jacob and a scepter will emerge from Israel. It will crush the heads of Moab's people, cracking the skulls of the people of Sheph. Edom will take over and Seir, its enemy, will be conquered while Israel marches on in triumph. A ruler will rise in Jacob who will destroy the survivors of Ur. So there's this prophecy that comes out in the middle of all this other stuff where he says, I see him, but not right now. And it's just this weird prophetic glimpse where he's like, how far into the future did I just look? And it's about 1,400 years. The thing that he sees about Jesus is 1,400 years because there's, there's these, these prophetic declarations of a star will rise or a star will come out from Jacob and a scepter will emerge from Israel. And so a star often had to do with speaking about royalty, like royal figures, and a scepter had to do with authority. So in one way, you could look at it and be like, oh, it's just talking about someday there's gonna be sort of this royal figure with authority who's gonna come out of Israel. And that's probably what people think for a long time until you get to Matthew 2, 1,400 years later. Let's go to Matthew 2. Also uncomfortable that these magi, the wise men, come to find Jesus because they're also not fully following God. Very likely they're like into astrology, astronomy, um, a lot of people think they were Zoroastrians who are practicing, like also probably practicing worshiping other deities. And still somehow, they're the ones, some of the first people, the first non-Jews who come and acknowledge Jesus. So I'd rather he didn't use them, but he did. Um, and just in case you happen to hear that and think, oh yeah, see like, I think probably every path leads to God. Like every, every religion, every path. It's not, that's not what happens. God's not using this as an example to say that, he's saying that even if you follow these other practices, I'm still going to find a way to lead you to Jesus. So if you're practicing some weird thing and the end result is you going, I think I should seek Jesus and worship him as king. Yeah, um, because you know, even Romans says that ever since the world was created, I'm just reading it, people have seen the earth and sky through everything God made, they can clearly see his invisible qualities his eternal power and divine nature. So they have no excuse for not knowing God. So you can't be upset when people who aren't fully following God see something and go, I know what that is, a star, and then they go and find Jesus. So let's read this passage from Matthew 2. I love reading scripture. 
Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea during the reign of King Herod. And about that time, some wise men from eastern lands arrived in Jerusalem asking, where is the newborn king of the Jews? We saw his star as it rose. That phrase sound familiar? When Balaam said, a star will rise from Jacob or a star will come out of the east. And then these wise men, 1400 years later, see a star and say, where's the new king? We saw his star rise. So Balaam's prophecy is directly tied to Jesus's birth and his, his fulfillment of this promise of a king coming for Israel. Does that make sense? We saw his star as it rose and we've come to worship him. King Herod was deeply disturbed when he heard this, as was everyone in Jerusalem. He called a meeting of the leading priests and teachers of the religious law, and he asked, where is the Messiah supposed to be born? In Bethlehem, in Judea, they said, for this is what the prophet wrote. And you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are not least among the ruling cities of Judah. For a ruler will come from you who will be the shepherd for my people Israel. Then Herod called for a private meeting with the wise men, and he learned from them the time when the star first appeared. Then he told them, go to Bethlehem and search carefully for the child, and when you find him, come back and tell me so that I can go and worship him too. And after this interview, the wise men went their way, and the star they had seen in the east guided them to Bethlehem. It went ahead of them and stopped over the place where the child was. And when they saw the star, they were filled with joy. They entered the house and saw the child with his mother, Mary, and they bowed down and worshiped him. And then they opened their treasure chest and gave him gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. It wasn't abnormal for a king to be nervous about um, astrological signs. That was pretty, pretty common. They often had this fear that it spoke destruction or blessing, and they had people reading the stars. That's why when they say like he asked his people about this, there's a reason they know the answer. And even later, Nero would kill a ton of people, um, hoping, I mean, he killed a lot of people anyway, but he killed a lot of people in hopes of his leaders, that hopes that they would be the ones, like speaking of a prophetic destruction from a comet he saw, he thought it was gonna be his destruction, so he had a bunch of other rulers killed, hoping that that would fulfill the, the prophecy instead of him. Okay, but Jesus, how good is this? that these men come, they see a star rise, and without, I don't even know if they know this, but it's, because it's 1,400 years later, it is the joyful fulfillment of the promises that God has intended to bring us since creation. And if you're Mary, if you're Mary and you are claiming to have a virgin birth, and people are um, skeptical of that, having this happen, where men from another country, like, pretty high-ranking people from another country come all the way and, and a star leads them right to you and your baby and they say, this is a king and we've come to worship him. That's pretty validating. Having angels all of a sudden appearing in a field and just rejoicing is pretty validating. And so it's this fulfillment of she, the words that she's been, she was told to name him Jesus because he would be a savior for his people. This is a moment of fulfillment, joy, validation, So good. I'm just resting there for a sec. But 
there was a second part of that prophecy, right? A star will rise from Jacob, a scepter will emerge from Israel. So a star will rise, and we see that here. In Jesus' birth, we see the fulfillment of that. But I want to show you where we see the scepter. Some of you might already know. Let's go to Matthew 27. Meanwhile, I'll give you a second if you're turning there. Meanwhile, the leading priests and the elders persuaded the crowd to ask for Barabbas to be released and for Jesus to be put to death. So the governor asked again, which of these two do you want me to release to you? And the crowd shouted back, Barabbas. Pilate responded, then what should I do with Jesus who is called the Messiah? And they shouted back, crucify him. Why, Pilate demanded, what crime has he committed? But the mob roared even louder, crucify him. Pilate saw that he wasn't getting anywhere and that a riot was developing. So he sent for a bowl of water and washed his hands before the crowd saying, I am innocent of this man's blood. The responsibility is yours. And all the people yelled back, we will take responsibility for his death, we and our children. So Pilate released Barabbas to them and he ordered Jesus flogged with a lead-tipped whip and then turned him over to the Roman soldiers to be crucified. Some of the governor's soldiers took Jesus into their headquarters and called out the entire regiment. They stripped him and put a scarlet robe on him they wove thorn branches into a crown and put it on his head. And they placed a reed stick in his right hand as a scepter. Then they knelt before him in mockery and taunted, Hail, King of the Jews. And they spit on him and grabbed the stick and struck him on the head with it. And when they were finally tired of mocking him, they took off the robe and put on his own clothes on him again and they led him away to be crucified. Once I sort of read this as the fulfillment of that prophecy of, Dump, of Balaam in Numbers, I can't unread it, where I see Balaam's prophecy is directly tied to the joyful birth of Jesus, where it's this validation, it's like the king has actually come into the world, and he's come here, and he's here now, and there's royalty from another country coming to worship him, and people, are, they're actually bowing down. And that word worship him is even, the Greek talks about it, like even when a dog licks his master's hands. It's like just this submission, bowing prostrate, being like, you're above me, you're above me. And then I know that that prophecy is tied to his birth, but the second part of it is tied to him being mocked right before his death. And it's it, the idea that they're, they mock him until it says they're tired of it or they grow bored with it. And this is the same king. So he comes, because when Jesus comes in Matthew 2, it's this great revelation, but who's there? Who, who, who's there acknowledging that Jesus is the Messiah, that the Messiah has come into the world? Like a couple of people? 
And then 30-something years later, when he's, I can only think of ministry era. In his ministry era, he's going about this, and the only people who are there is a Taylor Swift. Yes. Um, the only people there are mocking him. And again, no one recognizes him for who he really is. Because fortunately, unfortunately, Jesus also had to fulfill another prophecy from Isaiah 53, which we don't have up there. It says, there was nothing beautiful or majestic about his appearance, nothing to attract us to him. He was despised and rejected, a man of sorrows, acquainted with deepest grief. And we turned our backs on him and we looked the other way. He was despised and we did not care. Yet it was our weakness that he carried. It was our sorrows that weighed him down. And we thought his troubles were a punishment from God, a punishment for his own sins. But he was pierced for our rebellion, crushed for our sins, and he was beaten so we could be whole. He was whipped so we could be healed. All of us, like sheep, have strayed away, and we have left God's path to follow our own. Yet the Lord laid on him the sins of us all. there's more. You know this. There's more. I want to bring up 1 Peter. I'm going to read just two verses that aren't up there yet. 1 Peter 3 and 4. It says, all praise to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. It is by his great mercy that we have been born again because God raised Jesus Christ from the dead. And so now we live with great expectation and we have a priceless inheritance, an inheritance that is kept in heaven for you, pure and undefiled beyond the reach of change and decay. And this is where we pick up together. You love him even though you have never seen him. This is talking about you. Though you do not see him now, you trust him and you rejoice with a glorious inexpressible joy. The reward for trusting in him will be the salvation of your souls. This salvation, this is going back to the prophets, this salvation was something even the prophets wanted to know more about when they prophesied about this gracious salvation prepared for you. They wondered what time or situation the spirit of Christ within them was talking about when he told them in advance about Christ's suffering and his great glory afterward. They were told that their messages were not for themselves, but for you. And now this good news has been announced to you by those who preached in the power of the Holy Spirit sent from heaven. It is all so wonderful that even the angels are eagerly waiting these things to happen. The angels are eagerly watching these things happen. So he's going back to this prophetic piece where there's, in history, there's these times, whether it was 1,400 years, 500 years, 600 years, these prophets are getting this, this thing of going, oh, I just got a glimpse of the Messiah. And they start, they're actually inquiring, going, God, when is that? When is that? What am I gonna see? When is it? And, he, and to each one, he says, it's not for you. You're not gonna see it. It's not for your time. It's for them. It's, it's for you. It's for the people who heard the message of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so it's this thing, and it says, it's so actually amazing that angels are just watching, waiting to rejoice. Because the Bible says, like when Jesus came at his birth, 
what happens? There's angels just rejoicing at the birth of Jesus. And the, the Bible also says that when, it says there's more rejoicing in heaven when what? Someone comes to the Lord. And so these, there's, I, I believe right now, there's actually just angels waiting here in this room in Albuquerque that heaven is waiting going, okay, this has been thousands and thousands of years in the making. Balaam prophesies, it leads to Jesus' birth, it leads to Jesus' death and him being mocked as he's holding a scepter. And they're actually hitting over the head with his own authority because he's laid down his authority. And then it's his resurrection and Jesus is, is seated in the throne with, with, in, with God in heaven. And there's this opportunity now to not miss it like they did at his birth, to not miss it like they did at his resurrection, to not miss it like they did when he poured out his spirit, and just to receive everything that he's given. And there's an opportunity now to come and humble yourself, to bow before Jesus, to seek him, to worship him. That's, yeah, so if, the, if you're like, what's the point of this message? What I want is what any good, I think, messenger wants is for you to see him for who he really is and not let it pass you by the opportunity to worship him, just to worship him. There's no, there's no activation for this message other than I just want you to see him for who he is and worship him. I was praying a few weeks ago, we went to Colorado and my soul was just kind of like stirred up, which is how it is almost every day. My soul's just a little stirry. And um, I was like, God, you know that since I've been a kid, all I've cared about is how much I love you and I want people to know who you are. I can't help it if I meet somebody and they're like, this is my friend Jeff. And I'm like, Jeff, I hope you know Jesus. Like in my head, I'm just like, how do we help Jeff know Jesus? I just want Jeff to know Jesus. And it doesn't matter. Like I don't, there's other things that I have interest in and hobbies and things I do, but the whole time I'm like, every day when I meet people, it actually like sort of, is almost antagonizing me sometimes that I'm like, how do they get to know Jesus? Is Jesus gonna get worship from them? Are they gonna understand who he is? Are they gonna do this for their own sake of the forgiveness of their sin and the salvation of their soul? So Stephen, will you come up? Um, all I wanna do to finish this morning is give us an opportunity to praise Jesus, to recognize him and go, okay, I've been led to this point in my life to understand that he is the king and that I meant to submit to him I'm meant to worship him, give him my praise, give him my honor, and give him my life. And then I'm, today, there's an opportunity, angels waiting and watching, to rejoice with heaven at your decision to follow Jesus. Or to follow him more closely, or to just not let it pass you by in how you live your daily life. So, I don't know what we're gonna sing. We're gonna find out. Um, do you know, Stephen? Do you know? I know Stephen. Let's stand together. Let's stand. The form of altar call this is isn't just going, oh, you've never decided to follow Jesus. I will say, if you're here and you've never been like, okay, all in, like all in on Jesus. I'm gonna follow him today and I'm gonna recognize like who he is and that there's no other way to turn. I'm just turning to Jesus. If that's you, I invite you to come up and meet with anybody in the front, well, here section. Um, anybody in the front's good. <laughs> just to talk to somebody about it and not be like, I'll do that later. I don't wanna like be in front of people. 
But it doesn't matter if you've already been like, I follow Jesus, because this is an opportunity to go, I want to put him in the right place and I just want to worship him. This week where you're like, what songs do we sing that are just worship, that are just praise? So that's what we're gonna do. Um, you're where you're at. You can come to the front and if you feel like that is a demonstration you need to make of bowing before him, if you just wanna even bow where you're at or sit where you're at, you can do, you can do that. But that's what we're gonna do. We're just gonna take time to praise and worship Jesus.
opportunity just to even kneel where you are. If you can't kneel, just have a seat, just as a, as a demonstration of us humbling ourselves under Jesus, because that worship party is about prostrating ourselves before him, bowing down to show that he's above us. Jesus, right now, we just take so much joy in knowing that we're not in the beginning of a 1400 year waiting period. And we're not here at your birth 
like Anna, the prophetess, who says, I can die now because I saw the Messiah come into the world, but she doesn't get to see it. And God, we're not here waiting for your spirit to be poured out, God, but we live in a time where we can have your spirit for ourselves and be made new, Jesus. And I pray that we get to be, the next time we see you, Jesus, gonna be at your return as you come to gather your church. God, I thank you for our privileged position in history. And right now, God, we just put ourselves, we lay ourselves prostrate before you, Father. Before you, Jesus. With the sole goal of praising you, worshiping you, and acknowledging you as king. If you need to leave, you can leave. But I want us to keep praising. Stephen, let's sing a little more. Is 
Show us how to live like this. Jesus, I thank you for enduring what you endured. Enduring the scorn and rebuke and the mockery when you could have at any point stopped it. from the grave that are seated beside the Father in heaven and you've been given all authority over heaven and earth that we all submit to you and one day every knee will bow before you and every tongue will confess that you are Lord. Amen. That's so good. Uh, so good. So good. <sighs> Thank you for doing that giving him glory. Thank you for praising him. All right, well, um, yeah, if you need prayer, if you need prayer for anything, hey, there's Greg. Yeah, yeah. Let's give, uh, no, there's, you could just talk into my mic. <laughs> just, just lean in. Oh yeah, you're good, you're good. Use that. During the, uh, the message this morning, it was quieter in this room than I have ever remembered. It, it was unusual. I leaned over to Jody. I said, what is going on in here? It is so quiet. 
It, but it was a good quiet. It's a good quiet. And so I, just, I asked the Lord about, you know, what is this about? And I, he brought this verse to mind, and I, I want to read it because I think it's specifically for someone. It's uh, Isaiah 30, 15, and it says, For thus says the Lord God, the Holy One of Israel, in returning and rest, you shall be saved. In quietness and confidence shall be your strength. That's good. That's good. Andy's word this morning was about being still. Now, this is a... That verse is a beautiful verse in the middle of a hard section, which is entitled, The Rebellious People in Isaiah. And I, I think that's part of the word, is I think there's someone here this morning that you call yourself that, the rebellious one. And there's a quiet invitation of, from the Lord this morning for you to return and find salvation going against that name that you have put on yourself or maybe somebody else put it on you. And so just see one of, see somebody come up to the front, see one of the staff, but I think there's someone here this morning that that quiet word is for you. Today is the day to return Amen. and Amen. find him. That's good. That's good.